Mine, 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 mine. No, mine. Mine. <laughs> mine. Ours. And so uh, I always think of that little video when I think about, you know, when people start to say mine, mine. It's all about me, mine, 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 mine. I can see it all. Mine, mine, mine. It's all mine. And so today we're starting a new series over the next four weeks, God willing, called Selfless. And uh, Selfless instead of Selfish. Now here's an interesting, and hopefully you're not going to hate me after this, but well, we can talk about it. As we see this generation of entitlement and everybody shouting out from everywhere, mine, 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 and don't even get us started on what happened in the pandemic. And so uh, we're thinking today about the different generations, just as my intro today, and we think about millennials. And they use that term a lot, right? Millennials. And so people born from 1980 to the year 2000, and so today they would be 23 to 43. So if you're a millennial, put your hand up. Are you, you're 23 to 43 years of age. There's one back there. How many more? There's got to be more millennials. 23 to 43. Oh, there's somebody finally admitting it over there. Anyone else? There's a few millennials around. And millennials are the children of who? The baby boomers. And baby boomers were born in 1946 to 1964. And so their ages, even though they might not want to admit, their ages 59 to 77. So who's a baby boomer? Narcissism. 
instead. When they're little, it seems cute to tell them that they're special, or a princess, or a rock star, and they wear it on their t-shirts. Not so cute when they're 14. This generation has the highest likelihood of having unmet expectations with respect to their careers, and the lowest level of satisfaction with their careers at the stage that they're at, says Sean Lyons. It is sort of a crisis of unmet expectations. You know that was an article in the Time magazine called The Me Generation over 10 years ago. So how did we get here? Now, if you're a millennial, like my kids, many of your kids are millennials, this is how they remind us and respond to us. You call us narcissists. But they said, we trample their rights, tank the economy, trash the planet for our benefit, and expect them to foot the bill. Aren't you hearing that in these days? Now this is what I believe, biblically, that we'll look at in a moment, but here's how you know you're a narcissist, or someone you know is a narcissist. Because you hear that term used a lot. Everything will revolve around this person. Nothing will ever be their fault. They neglect you, take you for granted, and never make you feel important or valuable. They are selfish, which is an understatement when you are dealing with them. They lack empathy and compassion and only have feelings they care about is their own. And everyone around them are objects to be used for their own gratification or needs. Man, if you've been living anywhere today in the world around you, you will see that narcissism is on a rampage. Paul would call it what? The flesh. My friends, it's always been around. It's not about the millennials or the baby boomers. Every age has always felt it's about me, it's about mine, it's about what I want. Every age has been living in an age of entitlement and it's called sin. It's called ego. It's called pride. It's the very thing that gets in the way of God wanting to work in our lives. You know, the thing about the truth about this that I'm struggling with in these days, that if we are in that mindset and selfish like we see around us, we don't see ourselves as sinners, therefore we do not need repentance and forgiveness. Because that's for someone else, it's not for me. I don't need that, I got it all together. And so we're living today in a self-centered world. And if we're not careful, that self-centeredness creeps into the church. And we see people that are self-centered in their faith. And I believe this is what's done the destruction of many churches during the pandemic. That people were self-centered. And there's still a lot of it going on. But we are called, as we'll be doing in this journey together over the next four weeks, that we are called to a selfless faith. Man, I got quiet in here. And so today, we start this new sermon series, and today we're looking at the fact about what does it mean to be bold in witness. What does selfishness look like? <laughs> you don't have to look very far in our world. Selfishness is that tendency to prioritize one's own desires and needs above the needs 
and desires of other and uh, other people. And that's why I said it can creep into the church because we can see people at times will have a discussion or an argument. And, and not saying that as, as, as a church we shouldn't be discussing. And sometimes we can have an argument. Scripture tells us that arguments are not sinful. And you're not supposed to let the sun go down on us. Right? You deal with it. You love on one another. You forgive one another and you move on. Right? But praise God the church doesn't look alike. Praise God that every one of you are different. Every one of you has a different opinion, has a different idea, has a different creativity. You have been made in the image of God, and every one of you displays the image of God. And we need each other. Nothing worse than going to a church and everybody looks alike, thinks alike, acts alike, dresses alike, says everything alike. That's not the church. That's not the church. And so it's so important for us to realize what can creep in if we're not careful is this selfishness where it's about me, what I think, my wishes, my wants, the way I like to worship, the songs I like to sing. I think you should. And if we're not careful, selfishness can rear its ugly head in the church. How do we live selfless in a selfish culture? Paul said it this way, My old self has been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, he said in Galatians 2.20. And so what does selflessness look like? I like what somebody said, When you serve more, you take less. When you give more, you need less. When you think more, you want less. And when there's more of God, you are self. Less. See, to be selfless is about us going out of our way to be kind to others. It's thinking about others before ourselves. It's thinking about other people's feelings. What they, what they would say if we said that to them. It's, it's coming to a place where we recognize I'm not better than anyone else. My kids aren't better than anyone else's kids. Hello? Our family is not... Where does gossip find its root? Well, my family is better than that family. Let me tell you about that family, because that makes my family feel better. That's where gossip comes from. It's this need to promote up and prop up myself at the cost of someone else's demise. And so deep down inside there, there's an attitude of pride and selfishness. And the truth of it is, selflessness comes to the reality where we know we're not better than anyone. We all have fallen short. Amen. And we all need the cross. And praise God at the cross is level ground. Amen. We all stand there together, forgiven. Because we need a Savior. How did Jesus live? We're told that the Son of Man came not to be what? Served? But to serve others. And to give his life as a ransom. Jesus was indeed our example of being selfless and laying down his life for his friends. And we are called, if we call ourselves Christians, little Christ, we are called to do the same. John 15, 13, Jesus said, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And so today we start with this bold and witness Jesus, in our passage that Pastor Mike read, says, Now you need to remember, just before that, he's saying to them, Now you need to remember, he was preparing his disciples all throughout.
what? God. That he was going to be handed over to cruel men and he was going to have to die. That's the reason why he came. But he was trying to encourage them because he said, well, after I die, three days later, I'm going to rise again. That's why Christ came. Now, the disciples didn't get it. It's easy for us because we can read this and we've got hindsight. But in the moment, they were not understanding this. This did not fit with their agenda. <laughs> Jesus was supposed to be the Messiah that was supposed to be enthroned. He was supposed to take over the Romans. They had their whole agenda that he was supposed to do. And this didn't fit their plans and their agenda. And so Jesus is trying to tell them that. Peter, if you back up from our passage in Matthew 16, verses 24 to 28, if you back up to verse 22, Peter says, God forbid, Lord, never, Lord, this can't happen. <laughs> Jesus tries to tell them again, I have come that I might die. That's why I came. I came to die for the forgiveness of sins. This is why he came. I didn't, what did Jesus say? I didn't come for the healthy, but I came for the sick. I didn't come for the righteous, but I came for the sinners. And I'm going to have to die in order to purchase and pay the price. And then, in three days, I will raise, be raised from the dead. I'll be back. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for, my, for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? See, there's something here. Don't know if you've seen it. That if we want to be a follower of Jesus, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about him. And we are all called to deny ourselves. He says, take up your cross and follow me. Do you realize today, in order for there to be a resurrection in your life, there has to be a death? That is a powerful statement. I heard someone preach that many years ago, and it was life-changing for me. See, a lot of us want God to do amazing things in our lives. We want God to use us. We want to see the blessings. We want to see our family saved. We want all these things. But in order for there to be a resurrection in your life, there has to be a death first. And that's what Jesus is saying here. There, there has to be a death to self. If we are to take up our crosses and follow him. Have you died to yourself today? This is an old holiness message when we say that statement. That is really what holiness is all about. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. I have died to Betty Zita. And I no longer live, but he now lives in me. And it's a daily dying. Because I'll tell you, Betty Zita will rear her ugly head from time to time. It's about me and my rights and my wishes, and that's not fair. And it has to be crucified again and nailed to that cross. Again and again. Have you died to self? So here Jesus has gone to the cross. He suffered brutally after three days. And it's Sunday evening. And praise God. What are the disciples doing? Are they bold? Are they his bold witnesses? 
Jews that he said they would be, not at all. John's Gospel tells us this is what they were doing. The Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly Jesus was standing there among them and he said, Peace be with you. As Christians, why is it that we're not so bold? Why are we not so bold witnesses for Christ? Why are we not sharing our faith like we should? One word, fear. We're afraid. I, I, I get this sense in some ways after the pandemic, it's like the church is locked behind doors. And we're in fear. We're afraid. And God is wanting the church to unlock the door and swing wide open the gates. And allow people to come and be a part of the church of God. But also to send the church out into the world and into the streets to be his bold witnesses again. See, we have a fear. We, we, we are afraid. I, I'm not good enough. I don't know enough. You know how many times I've heard people say, well, pastor, you know, I'm not a strong enough believer yet. Well, you've been walking with the Lord for 20 years and you're still not a strong believer? That's not the Lord's fault. Right? Like, I'm tired of hearing that. Like, I understand we're new believers. There's people, when you come to faith, you're a babe in Christ. And we have to be careful. They need to be discipled and they need to grow in their faith. But you cannot tell me that you've been walking with the Lord five years, ten years, fifteen, twenty, forty, fifty. Well, Pastor, I'm not a very strong believer. I, I'm not good enough for that. I Excuses, my friends. Excuses. Because the Holy Spirit has come to empower us. But the enemy wants to give the church what? Fear. Afraid. Wants us to cower. I had a picture during the pandemic that I was praying uh, here on Saturday night. And we were doing a lot of stuff online. And I could see you. I could see the church in that back corner. That open area in the back corner. And the whole church was cowering. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. That's an attack of the enemy. That wants to lock us behind closed doors. When God wants to set us free and send us out to be his bold witnesses. And fear is the very thing that will get in the way. What did Jesus say to them when they were afraid, locked behind closed doors? And he would say it to us too. Here I am, peace with you. Peace be with you. I'm back. <laughs> it's finished. It's time to get to work on what we need to do for the kingdom of God. And suddenly, these guys who were <laughs> overcome by selfishness, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? <laughs> oh, you know, Lord, can you let my son sit at your right and your left? All this foolishness of selfishness all of a sudden has changed. They're no longer locked behind doors. They're no longer afraid. They're no longer self-centered. All of a sudden, we see these men bold and courageous and evangelistic in all that they did. What change? How did that change? One word for it. Pentecost. Pentecost. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That's why the fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit is available to us any day, any moment that we desire it and want it. And the Holy Spirit changes us and transforms us 
and gives us what? We're given power. Now, a lot of people like to quote that on, you will be my witnesses, right? Jesus says, you will receive power. And there are movements within Christendom that celebrate power. Oh, we have the power. But Jesus made it clear. What's the power for? To be his witnesses. That's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, is that we might witness. And so these men were filled with the Holy Spirit, and it changed and it transformed them. And there was no hiding anymore. And there was no behind locked doors. And praise God, they went out. Peter preached the message. And 3,000 were added to the church in one day. That's what the Spirit does. Now, Pastor Mike and I were discussing that this morning. And it's not like all of a sudden they set up a church there. There were a mega church of 3,000. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and sent forth back to their homes and their villages and all over the Middle East there. That they now brought the good news with them, those 3,000 that were added to the church in that day. Now, Peter and John start preaching the message so boldly, guess what happened? They ended up in prison. Do you love Jesus that much? <laughs> and they were told, you better stop. We're putting you in prison. You better behave. You better be locked up again. Don't go around sharing this good news with anyone. You need to shut up. <laughs> you need to keep doing this. Actually, in Acts 4, verses 12 to 13, Peter responds to Annas, high priest, who asked, he said this, By what power and whose name have you done this? Uh, basically, he's saying, In what authority? Who's given you authority to do this, Peter and John? This is what Peter said. He says, There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And the members of the council, this is the religious council, leaders who imprisoned them said, were amazed they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were not ordinary men with special training. In the scriptures, they also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. So you want to grow in boldness today? Got to spend more time with Jesus. I know our lives are busy. It's going to be intentional. You're going to have to take the time. You're going to have to make the time. I mentioned this a few weeks back about let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. The more I spend time in his presence, the more I look like him. But the more I spend time in his presence, I begin to feel like him and have compassion and see things as he sees. And I have a desire now for the lost. And I begin to carry his heart, not my own, but his heart. The more I spend time with Jesus. Look at that verse that they said, right? They recognized them as men, as that women, children, who had been with Jesus. What would happen if we walked into work tomorrow, went out to the fields, went to the piers, went to the bakery, and people would begin to say, they've been with Jesus. I recognize them as someone who's been with Jesus. Man, you want the Bible, you want to see your family saved and your neighbors saved, it starts right here. That's right. It starts right here. That we need to be with Jesus. Do you also notice that they said what? They could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. 
Now, praise God for Taberly and getting her district license and becoming pastor and training for the ministry and all the coursework she's doing. Praise God for Pastor Sheila and her faithfulness and all the study and all that she's done all of her years and Pastor Mike and all that he does. And when you want to talk about study too, like he, I don't know how many books he reads in the round of the week. But that's not what this is about. This is not about pastors and clergy. This is about ordinary people. With no special training in the scriptures. So this lie of the enemy, well, I need to know this more, which is important, before I can share my faith, you're missing it. Because yes, you need to know God's word, but you need to spend time with Jesus, and you need the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And then we go forth, and we share the good news. Before you can witness, you must be a witness. And secondly... You know you can ask God to make you bold? Have you ever prayed that? Have you ever prayed that prayer? Lord, make me bold. Make me bold, Lord. You know, actually, after Peter and John were released from that passage that we talked about, they had strict orders to stop. Don't you preach anymore. Don't you share your faith anymore. And where did they go? They went to their friends and they had a prayer meeting. And what did they pray for? Oh, God, protect us. Oh, God, give us a comfortable life. Oh, God, make it easy for us. No. And now, oh, Lord, hear their threats. And give us, your servants, what? Great boldness in preaching your word. That's what they prayed for. And you can pray for it, too, that God will give you great boldness to share his word if that's something you desire today and so in order to do that humility will never be our default attitude on our own as the church of jesus christ unless we are surrendered and crucified with christ unless we're filled with the holy spirit our selfishness and pride continues to bubble to the surface and that's those moments when we have to stop and say whoa where did that come from what's that attitude that's not like Jesus. And we need to surrender to fresh and new at the feet of the cross. And say, Lord, take this off me. I crucify this so that you might fill me afresh and new. And I might be bold. I pray for boldness to share the good news. As I bring this to a close. <clears throat> when we pray for boldness and spend time with God, we become more selfless. And our focus changes from living for today to living for eternity. See, it's more about Him and less about me. It's about denying myself. It's about I'm not living just for today or this week or this month. But I'm living for eternal purposes. I see the bigger picture. I'm living for His kingdom. And that's exactly what Jesus was warning them in this passage. Does he say, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits its soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? My friends, we need to realize that yes, we live in this world, but we are not of this world. That we are not only about building a kingdom here, but we're living for a kingdom out there that's waiting for us. That we get to be a part of. I, I thought last night and I could see this picture of the church. And I could see it around the globe. And, and I'm a visual person, right? I said that before. And as I'm praying, I'm hearing all this praise. Uh, 
Lord. But you know what also I saw? I saw the saints that have gone on ahead of us, who have fought the good fight, and they're waiting with the king for the day of his kingdom. And the enemy will want you to get your eyes focused on here and now and lose sight of the eternal. For what we're living for. Jesus warns, because in verse 27 he says, For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. So my friends, what fears are holding you back today? Like Peter, although just an ordinary man, fisherman, but filled with the Holy Spirit, you too can be courageous and faith and bold and witness. Now, we're all different. We're all different personalities. Some of us might be able to stand out on the pier <laughs> and tell people. Others might be doing it in a boat next to somebody one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah. We're not all the same. But we're all able to be filled with the Holy Spirit and have that boldness that only He can give. We speak boldly about what we believe deeply. How many here are Maple Leaf fans? Some of us are double fans. Okay. So this year, I know everywhere I went, I noticed this year the Leaf plans were speaking differently. Did you notice that? They were talking a little different. They, they really believe, and I think they did, they did a lot better this year than they've done in a lot of years. So there's hope for next year. But you know what was amazing? I've never seen Leaf fans for years talk with such faith and believing that the Leafs could win the Stanley Cup this year. We speak boldly about what we believe deeply. Do you believe that Jesus is coming again? Do you believe that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the way, the truth, the life, the living water, the bread of life, our source, our Savior, the one who died and rose again? Do you believe this? Because if you do, then you're going to share it. You're going to speak boldly of this. And in this day that we live of selfish days and narcissism all around us, it should not be so for us as his believers. We are to be an example of selflessness and not selfishness and to allow the Holy Spirit to fill us that we might become bold for him in his kingdom. This community is supposed to be different than anything else around. Do you understand that? The community of faith is an alternative community in a greater community. And so when people live in a selfish world of narcissism, they should be able to come into the body of Christ. And it's a community of faith that is selfless. Who puts the needs of others above their own. Who follows in the footstep of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What if we today prayed, Lord, help me to reach more people for you. Lord, Give me opportunities. Lord, fill me with your spirit. Lord, make me bold. I don't want to stay behind locked doors anymore. I want to come out of the power of the Holy Spirit and do great things for you and your kingdom of God. I want to hear, too, when my day comes, well done, 
good and faithful servant. I'm going to ask you to take out your phones. Those who have cell phones, take them out. I want the worship team to do this as well. Don't all jump. Take your cell phones out. <clears throat> Jen Brogan had this little statement that she made a blog, and she said, the world doesn't help us pursue selflessness. It encourages selfishness and self-idolization. We pose for selfies, edit our images, and self-promote the best of us to kind of impress other people. We post selfies to get likes and admirations, while the time we spend thinking of ourselves grows and grows and grows as a result if we're not careful. Our selfies show Look at me, look at me, look at what I'm doing. Look what I have. And the less we guard ourselves as believers in this world of selfies, the more we turn the lenses to our minds onto ourselves. Now, I want you to take your phones, those that have your cell phones, and I want you to put your camera up. Come on, this is, this is, uh, our young people, I want you guys to do it too. You're the selfie generation. Come on now. I want you to take a selfie of yourself. Of course, you gotta. Okay, did you take a selfie of yourself? Right? That's our world. That's everything we see around us. Some of our older crowd doesn't even know how to do that. How do I do that again? My daughter lets me know that we're not very good at taking selfies. So they're always a mess, apparently. They're not done very well. So some of you have, some of them really know how to. And then I hear, well, this size. You know, actually, I had a wedding one time, and one of the bridesmaids wanted to sit on the opposite, stand on the opposite side of the church because she told me that's her better side. That's the world we live in. I was like, well, it's not about you, honey. <laughs> Today's not your day. <laughs> it's the bride's day. I was like, wow, I can't believe this. Right? And so she brought up the fact that we're to have the attitude that was in Christ, Philippians 2. Have the mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Now take your phones back and flip the picture. That little square that's got the arrows there, flip it. Don't all jump at once. And I want you to now take a picture of somebody else in the church today. Turn around some of you. Take a picture of the church. Take a picture of others. Take a picture. I mean, I'd be awesome today. Yeah, back there. Take a picture of the walls. It's like, wow. We're waiting at everybody. Take a picture. Notice what happens when we stop taking selfies and turn it where? I'm going to ask the worship team to come. God is calling us in a selfish world 
Now, I'm not saying, you know, enough people say, well, I can't share that because Pastor Betty will see that as a selfie. I'm not saying you can't <laughs> take another selfie of yourself. Amen. But it is trying to get a point across that we live in a very selfish, self-centered world. When Christ wants to give us the eyes that we look where? Outward. To others. And maybe God might just have to remind you. Maybe every time you go take a selfie, the Lord's going to remind you of that. Have you thought about others today? Have you put the needs of others above your own today? I'll tell you one thing. You want to be in a marriage that's going to last, that's exciting to be a part of after 45 years almost. 50, 60 years. It's because couples have learned to put the needs of their spouse above their own. They put Christ at the center of the marriage. Is it perfect? No. But it helps us all. And it helps our families. It helps siblings. It helps everyone. It helps the church. When we put Christ at the center, when we put the needs of others, Christ was teaching us a secret, the mystery of the kingdom, that would be life-changing and community-changing if we could get it. And it all comes from the infilling of His Holy Spirit. Stand with us. And that's it.